Ephesians chapter 1. So, fellas, if you have some scriptures, could you pass them out to the folks who don't have a Bible? Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. They'll get it to you. We're going systematically through the, the epistle of Ephesians, and you're going to need a Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians in the New Testament. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. It's called the Epistle to the Ephesians. Epistle is just a big word that means letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And uh, he had pastored there for three and a half years. It was a really strange city. I will talk about it in a minute. But let's read the passages first. We're going to begin in verse 3. So what we do is we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. And we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to conclude our study of of this passage this morning as we look at the last three of the eight heavenly treasures found in this passage of Scripture. Verse 3 begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption. So there we have our first two predestined, chosen, and then adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. We covered that in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And then today, the forgiveness of sins. Everyone say the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us Everyone say, the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance. Oh, I like inheritances. Anyone like inheritance? Who's who's playing the $400 million lottery? How would you just like an inheritance from heaven? All right, he's telling you you got an inheritance. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of his works, uh, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were, everyone say, sealed. No, no, like this, sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance, say guarantee of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. I know it's hard to fathom everything we read, but we'll get through it and you'll be blessed because God's word is not going to return void. It never does. You're in for a treat. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, as we have undertaken this study, endeavored in this study We've come to realize that we've been predestined and chosen. We've been adopted. We've been accepted. We've been redeemed. And then today, Lord, we realize that we've been forgiven and that we've been given the mystery of your of your will. It's been revealed to us and that, Lord, we've been sealed, sealed with the guarantee of our inheritance. God, I pray that you would allow all of us this morning to fathom to the best of our ability these heavenly treasures, the riches of heaven that have been bestowed upon us as children of of God. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that they would come to realize that these treasures are available to them right now, that they would respond to this wonderful gift of salvation, this this gift of grace, that they would be saved by the blood of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing. Holy Spirit, 
minister. We give you all glory, honor, and praise, Lord, for anything that's eternal that occurs in this room has been done by you. And so, Lord, may man decrease that your spirit would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sit down, take a load off. Uh, for those of you who are uh, new, as, as I shared earlier, we're going through this uh, letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul's writing, and he pastored there for three and a half years. He's writing this letter to this church he had once pastored for three and a half years, and he's writing this letter while he's in prison. He's writing this letter while he's in prison. And it's interesting that as he's writing this letter while he's in prison, he's going through these eight heavenly treasures that are theirs to be, to be received and to walk in that they would understand who they are in Christ and what it is God has bestowed upon them to realize this great gift that they've been given. It's almost like uh, you know, the, the PBS show where, where they bring in these, the Antiques Roadshow and, and they come up with these items and, and, and they, they have no idea what it's worth. Somebody in the family handed it down. They walk in with it and the person says, you, know, you, you have one of the last remaining such and suches. It's exceptionally valuable. It's valued at over $150,000. Their jaw drops. They're stunned. They said, I used to you know, you know, put flowers in it and, and my kids would play with it. No, I'm blessed that it's not broken. Well, I agree. And now they walk out tiptoeing with it in gloves and everything because they had no idea what they had. And that's the reality of Christians is that we don't know who we are. We have no idea who we are. We have no concept of the simple fact that from the foundation of the world, we were predestined and chosen unto salvation, that, that God had you on his mind before there was a you. That the sole purpose, knowing that man would fall, knowing that man would sin, that he pursued you and is continuing to pursue you between point A, which is your birth, and point B, which is your death, because it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. He is doing everything to reach you with this understanding that you've been predestined and chosen from the foundation of the world unto salvation. And then you realize that and you say, well, you know, this is wonderful. And then he says, not only that, I'm not even going to call you a servant because the scripture says that you're a slave to sin. And then he redeems you, he purchases you with his blood, and then you become a slave to Christ, a slave to righteousness, no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And a slave is a servant. And then Jesus will now say to you, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends because you're part of my family. Because as we see here, you've been adopted. Adopted means that you're his child. That all of the rights and the blessings that come from the king are now yours. And any Roman citizen would have understood this exactly. That, that when you're adopted into, a, a higher, uh, in, into a, an upper echelon family, all of the privileges come with that. You now carry their name. You now carry their possessions, their title. All of the privileges that come with that family. Well, you and I as Christians have been adopted into that kingdom. And all those heavenly treasures are ours. The next thing he wants us to see is the fact that we've been accepted. And that one was one that we studied that the world is struggling for acceptance. We want to be accepted in some way. Our whole life, we strive for acceptance. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know just so we can be accepted. Our, our kids needle us and, and push us to buy shoes that are you know, worth nothing, but we pay an exorbitant price so that they can be accepted at school and they can fit in. They have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, and, and all of us go, well, those are kids. Well, we do the same thing. We strive in our life to be accepted, and we hear these voices of, of everyone telling us who we are from our past, that you're, you're stupid, or you're ugly, or, or you'll never amount to anything, and we, just, we hear all these things that drive us, and we want to be accepted, we want to be loved, and God says, relax, child. 
You're my child now. You're accepted. Forget what is behind. Strive for what is ahead. Take hold of that for which I've taken hold of you. I chose you from the foundation of the world. I've adopted you. You're accepted in my son. And then he says, and I have redeemed you. I've paid the price that's, that caused you to be a slave to sin. I've redeemed you. You were on the, on the slave block of the world, and they, you, you, were, you, were, you were being examined, and people were, were bartering for you, and they wanted to purchase you, and they, 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 they're, they want to use you and cast you aside. And they have no love for you. And yet I redeemed you from the slave marketplace. I paid the price for you. A price no man could have ever paid. One you could have never been delivered from. You were a slave to sin. I set you free from that. Now you, from, the, from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You've been redeemed. I paid that. And when you realize that, you go, my goodness. And so we, we saw those first four pictures of, of predestined, accepted, adopted, and redeemed. And now we come to the last of them this morning. And that is this idea that we have the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. This is one of those things that I think folks struggle with a little bit. I think Christendom struggles with it. We think God is in the business of forgiveness. And it's really adversely affected the church, I believe, in many ways. Um, 1 Corinthians 10. It's a good verse to remember verses. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. And the reason why I share them with you this morning <clears throat> is because... You've got this, this pattern in your head. We've all got it. It's the voices that are telling us who we are. And if, and if the, the weeks that we've spent in Ephesians chapter 1, if I can get you to come to a place where you will be able to stop in the midst of the voices, hold them captive and go back to what God says about you, predestined, chosen, adopted, redeemed, accepted, if I can get you to go back and see who you are in Christ and focus on that, I've succeeded. If I, if I don't, and you, you stay in the world of the voices, and you stay in the world of the past, and you walk around paralyzed as a believer, and you can never get beyond that, I failed. But God's word doesn't return void. The reason why I wanted to bring you to, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning is because I want you to see how important what we're doing is. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are strongholds? Those voices. My mom has been dead for over two years. I still hear her voice. Some of you are going, well, you're psychotic. Well, we already knew that. But I'm saying it's, it's that inner guidance, you know, somebody telling you what you're supposed to do, you know, serve from the left, remove from the right. Uh, and I say to somebody, I'm done with that. No, stakes are done. People are finished. And, and, and all these things that you just hear this constant. And then in, in the same regard, you, you hear those voices, um, you know, parents fail. We make mistakes. We say things we wish we could take back, right? Parents? Okay. And as kids, haven't we received things that we wish our parents hadn't said? And we're all kids at one time, right? Not all our parents, but all our kids. And so he's saying, listen, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down these strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What he's saying is, the world says one thing, and God says something else. 
And when the world says this, you hold that captive in obedience to the mind of Christ. And you don't let the world's statement exalt itself against God's word. You don't let the world's issues exalt itself against God's word. Are you understanding that? You know, you think about how traumatizing it can be to be in junior high school. And you're labeled. And I I remember one kid, a redhead kid with thick bottle, Coke bottle glasses. And when I had moved from from Washington, D.C., to California, and I was, uh, my, my family shopped at the Navy Exchange, and I had the Navy Exchange clothes, and here I was in Southern California, and it was a time when they had all the hang 10 outfits, and I, I looked, I, I stood out like a sore thumb, and the kids started making fun of me in, in the second grade. Well, I was raised in a Navy family. We traveled every two years. I knew how to ha- handle it. We knew humor, and humor was a way you, you got people to kind of think you were cool. And one of the best forms of humor prior to knowing the Lord, I, I thought was very effective, is, is humor at someone else's expense. And so to get the attention off me in the second grade, I, I, I scanned around the room and I thought, who stands out more than I do? And I saw that one kid. I started making fun of him. Got all the kids laughing. I had to make fun of him in the second grade, in the third grade, in the fourth grade, in the fifth grade. By the time I was in the sixth grade, this young fellow was, was sitting all by himself with two other kids that had been alienated in the school and picked on. I, I, we could walk down the hallways in junior high school, and I'd lift up my hand, and he would, he would cower like we were going to punch him, but I was, I'd scratch my head, and everybody would laugh. And then you get really cruel, and by the time you're in junior high, you start learning really interesting words like faggot. And you start calling kids that. And that's why the Bible says uh, in, in Matthew 6 that we can murder with words. We don't need a gun to kill someone. You've heard that it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, anyone who says to his brother, fool or raka, and it goes on to say you're in, the da- in danger of the fires of hell. You can, you can look at somebody and kill them with your words. Think about your child where you can say to them, and these are those voices that exalt themselves against the word of God. You're stupid. You're ugly. You'll never amount to anything. Do you need a gun to kill somebody? Or will those words work fine? Some of you are raised with those words. They haunt you to this day, don't they? Well, that, that young fella, he, you know, seventh grade, by the time I was in ninth grade, I was a water polo player and started, became captain of the team. And, you know, life was good for me, terrible for him. And then I became a Christian. And then I remember coming back from school, wanting to find him to reconcile and ask for his forgiveness because the Lord had put him on my heart. I came with some of my friends. I said, have you seen so-and-so? My friend said, no, he didn't hear. I go, no, what happened? He committed suicide. He jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I didn't necessarily shoot him with a gun, but my words did a real good job of killing him. And and those words are dangerous. I've got to ask the Lord for forgiveness. He's redeemed it. I, I don't like to revisit that story. Some of you can stand in judgment of me. But words have left your mouth. You're just as cruel. I know the sin looks worse on me than it does on you. And I don't share it because I'm proud of it. I wish I could take it back. But God's redeemed it as as a warning. 
that as you hear these things that exalt themselves against the word of God, had this young man ever come into contact? Had I ever taken a God speak card and, and shared the Lord with him? Had somebody in a coffee shop ever walked up to him and started to share with him the hope of the gospel and the word that overrides those things that try to exalt itself against the word of God? That he would come to realize that he's not what these kids said to him in, in, in the second grade all the way through junior high and into high school. He's beloved of God. He was predestined and chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. But nobody ever told him that, especially me. I'm guilty. But so were the silent Christians who never opened their mouth. That passed him every day on the street. You can stand in judgment of me. I'm guilty. But I thank God that we come to the passage this morning because I would live with that guilt for the rest of my life. But I'm grateful that I come to the passage of Scripture this morning. It says, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. I couldn't live with myself. I remember sharing the gospel with my father later in life after we had come to a place of understanding. My dad's biggest struggle with receiving the Lord is he didn't think God could forgive him for what happened in Vietnam. Three tours of Vietnam. The Bobtail Cat Cruiser, the entire front of the ship was was rocket launchers. They would come in close fire support. They could come into shallow waters and they could, they could almost beach it. And they would just send ordnance into the sky. And they would direct all the firepower wherever they were saying the coordinates as, as the army and marine units were on the ground and their, their positions were being overrun and they would drop ordnance right down on them. And my dad said one of the things that was overwhelming is when he came to shore to examine what had occurred. And there were dead Viet Cong soldiers, but there was hamlets with dead babies, mothers. Come to a place in life, how do you live with that? I think one of the greatest blessings my dad's ever received is Alzheimer's. I was with him yesterday, he was happy. Those memories are gone. I can handle it if he doesn't remember me just as long as he doesn't have to live with that. There's things you've done that you don't think God can forgive you for. I got news for you. The voice of the world has exalted itself above the word of God because God's word declares this morning, you have been forgiven. You've been forgiven. I think in my father's generation, the need to be forgiven and to walk in that forgiveness, to realize that no sin committed is greater than the blood of Christ. To realize that all the sins of the world combined isn't even greater than one drop of the blood of God. I think in my father's generation, that's a necessary thing to hear. But I think in my generation and below, there's a whole different message when it says the forgiveness of sins. See, my father was raised during the Depression. He knew a work ethic. He knew not how not to incur, incur debt. He knew how to live within his means. He understood the consequences of his actions because he'd been raised in a home that taught that. But in our world today, forgiveness is cheap. Now, the scripture says 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's according to the riches of his grace. That's how we get the forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace. He's rich. Understand that. One drop of the blood that was shed on the cross is sufficient for all the world's sins. That's how powerful it is. That's how wealthy the blood of God is. But in our generation, the church has come to a place where we preach forgiveness of sins without discipleship of the sinner. We talk about justification, just as if I'd never sinned. We talk about justification of sin, but not justification of the sinner. We separate the two. That's why Paul says to the church at Rome, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? I got my get out of hell free card. All of my sins, past, present, and future, have been cast as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And we receive the forgiveness of God and we raise our hand to become Christians. But nothing changes. We go back to adultery. We go back to the same slop that's on television. We, say, we talk the same way. We read the same stuff. We watch the same stuff. We have the same divorce rate as the world has. We have the same adultery issues as the world has. Nothing changes in the church. And the reason why is because we're entitled. We've come from the wealthiest generation, 50 years of entitlement. It's given to us. I expect it. We don't come to a church to be on our faces and on our knees to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We come to say, what kind of a children's ministry do you have? What do you have to offer us? We're shopping. And yet the Lord says, I've come to give you forgiveness of sins. And that which you've received too easily, you esteem too lightly. I was with Steve Larson, and I was lamenting kind of my, my ministry model. And Pastor Steve is the, the pastor of the bridge. And I said, you know, I was lamenting a, a number of things. And, and Pastor Steve, to comfort me, said, Rob, let me tell you something, being older than you. I said, I'm listening. He said, when I graduated from seminary, I was married, I'd incurred quite a bit of debt, kids. And I went to my dad, I said, Dad, I need help with my debt. My dad was well off, he could do it. He had the money to do it. And he said, son, no. No? No. But dad, you have the money. I sure do. I could afford it. I could do it. Well, why don't you? Well, because it's not my debt, son. It's yours. He said, I carried a bitterness to my dad for four or five years paying off that debt. And when I got to the end of the debt, two things happened. One is, I realized I never want to go in debt again because of how awful it is. And two, I realized how wise my father was. Because had he paid off the debt, I would have gone in debt again. And I wouldn't have appreciated it the first time, and I would have expected it the second time. We've been bailed out so often, we expect it. God's in the business of forgiveness. Why not do it again? He's going to forgive us. It's in His nature. According to the riches of His grace, it's inexhaustible. Paul says, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. You know what that is? That's Christians walking in entitlement. 
You know why God delivers you from sin? So you don't have to walk in it anymore. You can walk in the newness of life. Could you imagine your child coming to you and saying, Dad, I've I've racked up a debt. Well, let me take care of that. Thanks, Dad. Goes out and gets a brand new car and racks up another debt. Wait a minute. I just covered, I know, and I, I can now afford this on my salary, and I got a really cool car, and it's got all the bells and whistles. I'm speaking from experience, by the way. Oh, not my kids, me with my dad. I was talking with a, a, a friend, older person, and, uh, and they got a phone call requesting help um, for a wedding. And they said, wait a minute. You know, they're, they're over 90. And, and you're asking me for help with your wedding. It's not my wedding. And you, the quote was from Benjamin Franklin. The worst place to live is beyond your means. And we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a culture that we buy everything. We want it now. There's no discipline. And we get in trouble and we say, God, forgive me. And we rack it up. Now stop for a minute. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He even forgives you incurring the next debt. And he incurs the next debt. But it's doing you no good. It's doing me no good. To continue in sin that grace may abound. Jesus said to, to, to Peter in John 21... Peter, remember him? I will follow you to prison, even to death, Lord. And the Lord looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. No, yes. And he, the worst one is he's, he's warming himself by a fire. And a, like a 13-year-old girl comes up and says, you're a Galilean, I can tell by your accent. You were one of his disciples. You were with him. And he looks at her and he says, I swear to God, I don't know him. And he realizes it. What does he do? He goes and he, he weeps bitterly. The scripture says he wept bitterly. What does it mean? It's a good thing. He had what's called conviction. Conviction of sin. Because he could see with his eyes... From a distance, as John was walking with Peter inside the courtyard, he could see from a distance Jesus having the daylights beaten out of him, watching his beard pulled out of his face, the blood seeping through his clothing. And when the rooster crows, it says that he locked eyes with Jesus through the swollen eyes of the Christ. He could see on his face the cost of his sin. And he wept bitterly. Where do we find him next? Overwhelmed. Fishing. On the Sea of Galilee. God wants nothing to do with me. Oh, that's not true. Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how could God ever use me? I, I have failed him. We all do. But we don't walk around going, I'm no good. I'm no. That's the world exalting itself above the word of God. There's no condemnation. What's the balance? The balance is this. Jesus was on the shore, resurrected. Peter sees him, jumps in the water, swims to shore, comes to Christ. 
he, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? For every time he, he denied him. Peter's remembering this, the cost of sin, the cost of sin, the cost of sin. Lord, I get it. What do you want me to do? Follow me. Follow you? Yes. Be my disciple. Put away the world and follow me. He didn't say, you know, Peter, I forgive you. It's like the judge ruling in a case and the, and, and, and the, the criminals in front of him. Charged guilty. And the judge says, you know what? God forgives and so do I. Dismissed. And the man whose store is robbed over here, who fought for the conviction, watches the robber walk out and says, what do you mean? Is that forgiveness? The judge says, God forgives, so do I. Dismissed. Is that forgiveness according to God? If he wanted to forgive according to God, he would say, God forgives, so do I. I will serve his time. Because justice demands that the penalty be paid. And God is just. That's the cost. Somebody's got to pay that penalty. The blood was shed because we're sinners. Peter understood it. I love you. I love you. I don't want to do that anymore. I, I, I saw you beaten. I saw the price of it. I want to follow you. I see how a life with you is different than the life I've been living. God says, I've forgiven you of your sins according to the riches of my grace. I've given you wisdom and prudence. And then I close with these last two, having made known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. You know, that's the power. That's the power of being a Christian. Not only are we not only are we predestined and chosen and adopted and, and accepted and redeemed and forgiven. And this idea of forgiveness and to say, God, I want to walk in the fullness of what it means to be your disciple. I've been saved from sin to walk in righteousness. And, and, and in walking in that righteousness, God says, this is the coolest thing. When you abide in me, I abide in you. And what do you get? It's real simple. I'm going to reveal to you the mystery of my will. You, you know what happens in the end. You, you know that if people sow this, they reap this. You can see the pattern. Do you see it? Do you see it? It's unfolding before your eyes according to the scripture. And when you're in the word, all of a sudden everything makes sense. A slave is a borrower to the lender. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. And we've walked away. You can see it. We're sowing to this, and this is what we're reaping. Do you see it? Lord, I see it. Do you see that wisdom is proven by your children? Do you see those families that walk with me? Do you see that their children walk in righteousness and that you never see their children begging bread and somehow, no matter the society or the culture or the government, they always do well? Lord, I see it. That's the mystery of my will. Walk in that in discipleship. You'll get it all. 
I'll give you all the secrets from beginning to end on how to have a fruitful life of godliness. But if you're just going to take the forgiveness and walk away from the discipleship, you're going to miss that treasure. Lord, how do I know? It's real simple. It's real simple. I will reveal my mysteries to you, and you're going to know all of this by the simple fact that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. My spirit bears witness with your spirit that you have been sealed. Sealed. What does sealed mean? Sealed. Well, if you had an edict from the king, they would seal the envelope. We used to lick them, and now they have the peel back thing, and those are even nasty too. But in that day and age, they would, they would seal the letter. They would take hot wax. They'd bring the king's signet. And only somebody with authority can open that. And what it's saying is this, is this is a royal document. You've been sealed with that royal document. You have papers. You are legit. And with that sealing, it's the guarantee of your inheritance. Uh, you ever heard of earnest money? You got two farmers in a field, and, and and they're they're talking about, you know, they're bartering back and forth on a piece of farm equipment, and they come to an agreed price, and they shake hands, and the and the farmer reaches in his wallet and he takes out some money. He says, "I don't, I, I'm, we can't go to the bank right now, but here's some earnest money," and he lays out the earnest money. He says, "I'll go get the rest. That's yours. If I don't come back, you keep it." Earnest money. If you've ever sold a car before and the person says, I need to go get a check. Okay, we can go get a check, but in case anyone else comes, I need some earnest money. Put it down. You don't show up, it's mine. I keep it. And the earnest money and the earnest, the guarantee of our inheritance has been given by the seal of the Holy Spirit. If somebody received a letter from the king with that signet seal, they would say, this is redeemable. I can cash this in. And that's the hope that we have of heaven. Every one of these promises is guaranteed to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. It's a promise. And you're sealed in that promise. A guarantee of that inheritance. And if you get nothing out of the study as a Christian except for this, that you take God's word And you give it authority over the things of the world that try to exalt itself in your mind above God's word. You silence it and you just say, "Mm mm-mm. When the enemy says you're stupid and you're ugly and you'll never amount to anything, you're a faggot. You're a loser. You're a wuss. You're a quitter. You hold it captive to the mind of Christ. Everything okay? We're all right. You hold it captive to the mind of Christ. No longer does the world exalt itself above God's word. Christian, we can turn off phones now. Predestined, chosen, Adopted, yes? Accepted, redeemed, forgiven, yes? Sealed, yes? And all the mysteries of God have been revealed to you. That's who you are. And you know why all that's been shared with you this morning?
that the motivation when you walk out that door is not to live in the conformity of the world, but in the transforming of your mind. That all these things are true, live like it is, because it is. That's who you are in Christ. If you're not a believer this morning, why? I, I, it's clear. Where else are you going to be loved like this? That you've been separated from God by, by your sin, which just means you've fallen short of perfection. And he left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross to shed his blood that had to be paid for the penalty so that he could be just and merciful. And he's lavished that on you. And and from the foundation of the world, he predestined and chose you unto salvation today. He's ready to adopt you into, into God's kingdom. No longer do you have to stand on the auction block of the world as a slave to sin. He's come to set you free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He accepts you. He knows what you've done. Everything and stuff you haven't even told anyone. He knows about it. He's not shocked by it. He's ready to forgive and redeem you. He'll pay the full price right now. He'll forgive it. And it's not going to be cheap. He, will, he was brutally beaten to pay the penalty for that sin that you've been living with to set you free so that He can reveal the mysteries of His will, this joy that He has in store for you. Waiting at your beckoning call, all this blessing from God, and it's guaranteed with the seal of His Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, the minute you receive Christ this morning, you will know you have received Christ. I remember when I received the Lord, it was like, I knew that I knew that I knew. It was that seal. It was like that wax signet just went right into my soul. That can happen right now. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. To the glory of the Father. It's kind of cool. It's like going and saying, I just racked up a big school debt, Dad. Can you cover it? Not only can I cover it, I will. If I rack it up again, will you? Yeah, I will. I don't want you to continue in that route. But I know you need to be set free from this debt because you can't survive. You're bankrupt. You don't even have enough to come in for the payments. You're, you're upside down. And I'll take care of it. I'm going to give you a clean slate so you can walk out the door and start a new life. Not as you used to live. But accordance with the mystery of my will. It's going to be revealed to you when you receive the Lord today. When all your sins forgiven, and you want a clean slate, you want to be adopted in the kingdom of God. It's, it's real simple. I'm going to do it in the next moments here. I'm going to have us pray. And I'm going to do this through the course of the Ephesian study. And as I pray, I, I'm going to, it's going to be a transaction between you and the Lord. I'm going to say, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to say, raise your hand right now. And everyone's heads will be bowed and their eyes will be closed. I'll just say, raise your hand. It's going to be a transaction because the Bible says if you profess Christ before man, he'll profess you before his Father in heaven. And I'll I'll be the witness of that. Just raise your hand, look at me, and it's sealed. Transaction completed. And you go, that's too easy. For you, not for him. He was willing to die on a cross for you. Are you willing, willing to raise your hand for him? 
And he's ready to set you free so you can walk in the mysteries of his will. And we're going to do that right now. You guys ready? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Lord, your word says, and you, meaning us, and you being dead in your trespasses, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, all, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that were against us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Lord, you've pulled down all strongholds everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of your will. And this morning, as we have heard in your word, that you have come to forgive us of our sins and to redeem us. And Lord, we think that we can't be forgiven because of what we've done. But your word, that's what the world says, but your word says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. All the sins in the world combined don't even equal the power of one drop of the blood of God. And you're here this morning to forgive a debt we could never repay, to give us a new life, no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, no longer servants, but friends of God, adopted, redeemed, accepted, forgiven. All of these blessings await us by the simple transaction of our will to respond to your grace in accordance with the riches of your grace. And Lord, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you say in your word, if we believe in our heart and confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved to the glory of the Father. And so Lord, in this moment as we're prepared for this transaction where your Holy Spirit will seal this divine inheritance, I say to the room right now, if there's anyone in the room that wants to receive Christ, You understand what's transpired today and you're ready for a new life in Christ. You want to accept his blood to pay for all your sins, past, present, and future. To know you've been forgiven and to be sealed with the promise of his Holy Spirit. If that's you, right now, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Lord, for those who've given their life to you, we thank you. We ask your blessing upon them. We thank you that they're new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. They have a clean slate. They're ready to walk in the fullness of you. And so, Lord, we praise you and we thank you as the angels in heaven rejoice over the repentance of one sinner. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's, let's clap for those folks who gave their heart to the Lord. Terry, Nancy, will you close us in a song and then, but only make it like three minutes because that way they'll get out uh, with eight minutes to spare. I said early, and they can write something really nice for the glazes in eight minutes. For your love has no limit, your grace has no measure, your power no boundaries, no for out of his infinite riches.
します。